amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael, Myself, or Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, April the 5th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Good afternoon, everyone. Delighted and honored that you're with us today. And we get to uh, inquire once more about this ancient technology and put it into a, a palatable, understandable format of how to heal, how to enter into the state of a true human life. Our definition of a human life is simple. It's experiential. Hold the newborn child. If we are not living that way, then we have work to do. And so we're here to support that work moving forward. For those who find themselves stuck in hopeless, helpless cycles of hostility and fear to find a way to remove themselves from those cycles. I was talking with someone this morning, and uh, we'll we'll probably bring this up tomorrow with it being um, uh cleaning up addiction time on Wednesdays at the recovery time. And I was talking with someone who's having a problem with addiction and uh, you hear all the excuses. And I actually got a a list of 10 from them as to why they couldn't uh, enter into a program. And uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that tomorrow, but it's interesting how the mind in denial has a million reasons why it's not living in love and doing its purpose and everybody else is to blame. And what we're looking to do with this work is to understand that we are creative beings and that we create the results that we experience in our lives. And as we are able to recognize that, 
and put into practice the tools of forgiveness, we can step out of that state and move into living as a true human being, as the true honest expression of love, one who understands one's purpose and lives out of that purpose. So that's what we're here to support and bring forward into the world. And uh, Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us today? He is, and he's on. Let's say hello to the young man. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Can you hear me? You're loud and clear. Yes, sir. Well, again, that's a very short introduction. It was. But, But what it brings to mind is one of the things I've heard you say many times in different talks is, the statement that one of the greatest tragedies of our human existence is that we have been taught or we had hidden from ourselves the fact that we are creators. And in when that happens, then we are completely unable to see how we're creating the very things that we're upset about. And in the book, Leadership and Self-Deception, in the introduction, it says, to give you an idea of what's at stake here, consider the following analogy. An infant is learning how to crawl. She begins by pushing herself backward around the house. Backing herself around, she gets lodged beneath the furniture. There, she thrashes about, crying and banging her little head against the sides and undersides of the pieces. She's stuck, and she hates it. So she does the only thing she can think of to get herself out. She pushes even harder, which only worsens her problem. She is more stuck than ever. If this infant could talk, she would blame the furniture for her troubles. After all, she's doing everything she can think of. The problem couldn't be hers, but of course the problem is hers, even though she can't see it. While it's true that she's doing everything she can think of, the problem is precisely that she can't see how she is the problem. Having the problem she has, nothing she can think of will be the solution. And if we have hidden from ourselves the truth of how we are creators the truth of how our choice of thoughts in each moment creates our emotions. If we have been, had it hidden from us that the most important creation we have in each moment is our emotional being state in that moment, is whether or not we are connected, consciously aware of our true nature as love, or we've chosen something else to focus on. If that's been hidden from us, and we've been taught to just push ourselves around backwards, 
when that, and that's the only thing we know to do, is to go to the conscious logical mind and try and figure out a solution. If that's the only solution we have, and that's the very thing that David Bohm says and Krishnamurti says is causing the problem, then we're hopelessly stuck. And everything we do to try to get an improvement in our situation or get out of our situation will only make it worse. So that's one of the reasons I love this work, because it has me continually, every time I do a worksheet, it it gives me the opportunity to wake up to the fact that, oh, I had this anger or fear or sadness in me, and I thought it was because of them, he, she, or it outside of me. And lo and behold, 15 or 20 minutes after starting the worksheet process, none of that outside stuff has changed, and yet I feel differently. I feel better. I must have been creating my upset, and I have the ability to create peace, calm, joy, loving uh, results by simply focusing on my true nature and dismantling what's less than love within me. So that's my offering for the day. Are you there, Michael? Right on. I hear you loud and clear. Exactly. I was just um, looking for a post that I did yesterday. Um, you just triggered the thought of it on on Facebook, and there was a, a very articulate young Indian woman, about maybe 40-ish, and she, in her TED Talk, describes uh, her near-life experience. And she goes through... Is that Anita Morjani? Yes, yes. Isn't that an awesome piece? Yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful book and a very good TED Talk. Yeah, just uh, fabulous. And and in essence, she's given the the nutshell. I mean, here's a woman who, if you haven't, you know, tapped into her talk, uh, she basically speaks i'm just looking to uh, to confirm that that is the name of the woman that i was thinking of um, but anyway she uh, she speaks about how you know her body was covered yes it is anita morjani how her body was covered in tumors uh, she's got lymphoma and she's in the last hours of her life and she goes into a coma and in that coma, she's shown everything she needs to know about what's going on, how she set herself up, how she did it to herself. And, uh, you know, she's talking about, you know, lemon-sized tumors all over her body. And they've told her husband and they've called her family and said, you know, you better get down here and say goodbye because she's in her last hours. And six weeks later, she walks out of the hospital tumor-free after dying. And, you know, after clinical death ex- is experienced in being, she's taught, everything she needs to know to heal her life and what her life is really about. And it's just, I I reposted it with a a post that says, you know, folks, here's exactly what the mind of Christ would say to you if it were to be activated in you. And here's exactly in, in a very succinct format, uh, what you need to hear. Now, here are the tools, go do it. She does not describe exactly what, she was shown to do, she just describes the fact that she did it. 
and of course the the teacher that is in in us within us will teach us exactly what we need to do to heal whatever it is that's going on in our lives and i i love your analogy the kid who pushes himself backwards under the table and blames the furniture it's, it's perfect and in essence anita says and that's what i was doing i was you know it was cancer and it had me and you know it was doing it to me and uh a total complete reversal and just a really beautiful piece of instruction. And, you know, in the, uh, in the book I'm working on, The End of Suffering, the character who's talking to Yeshua in the book says to Yeshua at the, the phrase where the quote from the scriptures is given of, of God about, you know, talking with God. And it says, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to you. And the character says to Yeshua, well, why would God speak to us with these stammering lips and another tongue? Why would God speak a foreign language that we can't understand? And Yeshua points out to him, no, that's all projection. It isn't that God's speaking with foreign lips and another tongue. It's that we've developed foreign brain cells that are so far from truth and we have to take the time to come back to be able to hear what the truth is and to encounter ourselves on the way and dismantle the insanity. And, the, of course, the first step in the process is the wake-up sheet, the reality management sheet. In essence, what Anita describes is her waking-up process as she goes through clinical death. And the worksheet is a mini version. I don't suggest people rush out and create yourself a near-death experience and hope you'll get it. Uh, I think that's kind of a risky way to go about it. But there's a very reliable way to have an ongoing series of near-life experiences. And it's called forgiveness. It's called the wake-up sheet, reality management. It's about dismantling the pictures the mind generates to give us, even if it's just a flash, you know, as this woman has this full-blown near-death experience, they call it near-death, but it's really near-life, where she wakes up to who she is, a whole new world becomes possible for her, a world that would be impossible for her non-being mind and her non-being self to understand. And, you know, one of the challenges is that most people stand around in their non-being state saying, well, here, tell me about it. Fix me, fix me. Show me how to fix myself. Well, yes, I already know what the problem is. You just show me how to fix it. And, you know, it's like stammering lips and another set of ears. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's hard to hear when you already know that the problem is someone else, that the problem is yourself and that you've got work to do. It's uh, such a, Huge challenge. You've read Anita's book? Yes, Anita's book is Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. And another one that's a pretty good read is the um, the one by Eben Alexander, who's a neuroscientist who had this trauma and and knows that he was clinically dead because he knows the anatomy of the physical brain and so as he had this near life experience as you're calling it it was the, the the rebirth for him because 
um, the title of his book is Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. Prior to his experience, he just wrote off all of these near-death near or near-life experiences as random firings of the brain and things that people had been taught throughout their lifetime, images that they had created in their fantasies, etc. And yet he had this prolonged experience where his brain was shutting down and parts of it had swollen and blood had been cut off. And, and so he knows that when he came back and he had awareness of the entire time that he was, quote, gone or not living or clinically dead, and that he had memories of things that happened in and around the room while he was supposedly dead, he knows that can't be the functioning of the what we call the physical brain because that was so shut down with the disease process he had going on. So there are several that I of these um, books that came up in a book club I was moderating. Um, to Heaven and Back is another one by Mary C. Neal, N-E-A-L. Anita's is probably one of the best for, you know, being completely compatible with the work you're doing with the, the forgiveness process and the worksheet and I don't think I've read a single near-death, near-life experience book that didn't come back with the idea that the answer is that we're made of love and we're supposed to be extending that. So, For sure. For sure. I, it was kind of fun. I When I found it on Facebook, Jeannie was sitting there, so I turned the sound on and we sat and listened to it. And uh, it was kind of uh, fun to hear her go into the... Uh, the story that I've been telling for years about Mammoth Cave and the pen light. <laughs> she just took exactly that story and shared it. And, you know, realizing that the mind is like looking through a keyhole into infinite space and trying to see through this minuscule keyhole, the whole of infinite space and understand it. When in fact, the opposite is the solution we need to, in order to heal, be out of our minds. And in essence, what happens in that so-called near-death experience, which I call a near-life experience because clinical death occurs. It's not near-death. It's clinical death has occurred. The body is clinically out of the picture. And now that it's shut up, the being gets the opportunity to experience itself as it truly is. It's a near-life experience. It's a taste of living on the other side of the keyhole. And then when they recoup the uh, physiology and bring it out of clinical death, then the being has the opportunity to come back into expression through its physiology and now try to explain through the keyhole what was just experienced. And I just thought Anita's was such a, a beautiful example. And if you're, uh, if you're not uh, friends with us on Facebook, you can go to J M underscore R Y C E and uh, hit a friend request and go to look at, uh, at the uh, post on uh, near life experience with uh, with Anita, it's a really awesome clip. the The instructions she gives are just fabulous, just right on track. And and you could probably just um, 
Google the TED Talk, Woman Dies and Comes Back to Life with This Incredible Message for Humanity. And it's a TED Talk. So if you, uh, if you Google that, I'm sure you'll come up with it. There are some other, uh, you know, other pieces that are out there. There's a group called the Kogi Indians, and they give an explanation. It's just, it's exactly the same. I mean, everywhere that uh, Western civilization, and, and of course that comes with a big question mark. I love what Gandhi said when he, he was asked what did he think of Western civilization. He said he thought it would be a good idea. And uh, when we wake up from this dream of rage and guilt and fear and failure and drama and trauma, all kinds of wonderful things happening, but at the same time, the insanity that pervades our culture when you look at the fact that there are a million and a half Iraqis dead in the last 20 years, and and what, what, what are we doing here? What is this this game about what have we been brainwashed into and it's time for us to start to dismantle the parts of us that are lost in that and wake up to who we really are and really truly experience the truth of human life we are we start out as we are we remain throughout our lives the active presence of love if that's hidden from us behind the keyhole then forgiveness is how to open the keyhole up collapse the mind and have a true near life experience right here while you're alive. And for most people, when they start doing worksheets, it's, it's not an overly fast process. It's a step-by-step process. But each time the forgiveness process takes place, there's a near-life experience. The mind collapses, much as it does in clinical death. The mind collapses its output, if only for a second. You know, that, that thing is an electronic device that works so fast. Bang, you empty it, and it's going to fill in information as fast as it can. Bang, it's going to fill in information with its path. Bang, 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 bang. And if each time it does that, you collapse it once again, you collapse it once again. It takes patience. It takes work. You get to the point where the spaces between it filling in awareness get larger. And in those spaces, you get to experience a near-life experience. And we've all got one. It's just waiting there for us. And you can't figure that process out. You just have to do your work. Another um, kind of interesting piece of work, it's a little bit confrontive, but it really, and we brought it up on the show before, but I was talking with someone about it uh, this morning, the movie Thanks for Sharing, if you haven't seen it. It's pretty intense. It's got some pretty graphic stuff in it. Uh, it's about sexual addiction, but it really makes the point that one day at a time, you have to keep doing your work. You have to do your work. You have to do your work. Whatever your excuses are, whatever your stories are, whatever, 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 you have to do your work. And the mind can come up with a thousand reasons why it shouldn't. Movie is a powerful demonstration of that and the results of, uh, uh, both doing your work and not doing your work are very well uh, portrayed in that uh, film. Thanks for sharing. And I think it was $6 on Amazon. So it's cheapy to, to order and, uh, and have there to look at on a regular basis. I know that during the last intensive, we showed it twice. And the second time was, and I'd seen it a couple of times earlier, but the second time took on still another whole layer and level of meaning. And uh, so 
we're here to support you. Whatever, whatever your demon is, whatever it is that's blocking the keyhole for you, that keeps you from being aware of the fact that you are the presence of love. That person you call the enemy is the presence of love. And perhaps they're not capable of experiencing that. But if you can choose to be the presence of love and hold the space for that, you may hold the key to the healing of the whole of humanity. Now, we have a friend that posts on Facebook fairly often, and he's going along with the whole military game very powerfully these days and, you know, all the reasons why Muslims are the problem in the world. And, you know, as our political structure is, is pointing out, it's all somebody else's fault. We're, we're in trouble because we need, need to build a wall and, and, and then we have to kill these people and then we have to go with those terrorist wives. You know, I mean, the whole game is just so bizarre and so insane. What would love to? What would one who's had a near life experience do in your situation, the one you faced this morning where you had all that frustration, fear, rage, guilt, grief, drama, and trauma, come up, what would the active presence of love in you advise you to do? As Anita says in her presentation, she wasn't able to see that while she was alive. Her body had to die. Her karma-based memory that had all her fears and terrors about cancer and was watching her body deteriorate. And I mean, she describes how her neck has got golf balls or uh, lemon-sized tumors on it. And her back and her body is just, you know, she's down to 80 pounds and she's just destroyed. And then... Her mind collapses due to so-called physical death. And she gets a full set of instructions. It's a powerful, powerful view of what, if what in the ancient teachings was called the mind of Christ in you, this is a piece of the puzzle Paul had very powerfully put together. He said, your hope of glory is that mind in you that was in Christ. What is Christ? Christ is, is a, a, an Aramaic word. The, well, actually, it's a Greek word, but if you look at what was being referred to, it's a direct channel to the mind of God. If that channel is open to you, it will give you instructions. There's nothing religious about it. It's just living as the active presence of love. You can throw out all your doctrines, all your dogmas. You can throw out all your religious beliefs because they were all made up by the non-being mind. Oh, you got to fear this. You got to do this. You got to obey that. You better not displease this. You, you better watch. That's all a big, long story that humanity's developed over hundreds of years to keep from having a near-life experience and being, literally being, the presence of love when the mind goes into disturbance. And it's a practice, and it's an interesting project to do. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody out there with a hand up in the phone queue or anybody in the chat room with a thought for us that we might want to chew on a little bit? Well, several people are in the chat room, but there's no comments. Linda from Atlanta, if you are on the switchboard, uh, if you would press 1, we were going to continue the conversation 
that we didn't have time to complete yesterday afternoon, but I don't see any hands up right at the moment. Okay. Cool. Well, our calling number, if you're on one of those stations that we can't access in our control panel, or you're in the chat room and would like to talk to us, if you dial 646-200-4169 and push 1, we'll hand will go up in the control panel and we'll get to chat with you. We've got lots of time. If you leave it to the last minute, you'll say, oh, there just wasn't enough time. Well, we've got lots of time. Push one. You just kind of muted, Michael. Did you go? Did you move away from your microphone? Not one centimeter. Okay, there it's clearer. Okay, well, haven't gone anywhere. But anyway, anything happening with that phone queue? I know that if... There is- um, Go ahead. I was just going to say there's nothing. However, you started to mention the uh, Kogi Indians, and I'm not sure that you went into an explanation of how that uh, related with the books that you and Dr. Tim were mentioning, but I looked them up real quick, and it talks about um, how they're an indigenous culture and they look at you know Mother Earth and, and all those things, but that they view death not as a tragic event but as a fulfillment of life and that they're invisible and invulnerable to death, and that after nine days, um, the soul wanders on a journey that ends in the rebirth of, a, of that soul. So it's, it's kind of right. interesting, but I don't know if there was something else that you were going to add about them. Well, there, I, not really. I was just throwing it out there, but uh, there's a video. I haven't seen it in years, but it just came to mind as we were speaking, done by the Kogi, and it's very much like the message that uh, Marlo Morgan was given by the indigenous peoples in Australia that she recounts in her book, um, Oh, let's see, what's Marlo's book in Australia? She goes on a walkabout. And, but, but basically the Kogi call themselves the real people. And they did a video. They actually, I think it was BBC that they invited in. And uh, they did a video where they said, you know, you people are destroying the earth. We can tell from where we are. And it's time for you to straighten up your act because you're destroying yourself and you're destroying the earth. And it's just, as I say, it's been years since I've seen it, but it ties right in with the whole message of it's time for us to just wake up. Mutant Message from Down Under is Marlo Morgan's book. And uh, it's a true story. It's it's interesting. uh, When she first published it herself and put it out there, it was uh, put forward, and I know Marlo, uh, at least we've connected, we've met and chatted before, but um, when a big publisher came along and wanted to publish the book for her, they said, well, we have to make this a fantasy. We can't, we can't tell people this is a true story. So it became a fantasy, but, but it was her actual experience. And uh, the same message, the um, uh, particular tribe has said, we're not going to reproduce anymore because it's hopeless. The, the, the non-humans are destroying the world. And in essence, that's what's happening. Uh, the ancient scriptures refer to the great men of the earth. And what are the great, who are the great men of the earth? Well, if you stop and think that when you get a, a whole culture, you get most of the cultures on the planet to shift out of people who live on the earth, who eat from the earth, 
who give back to the earth, who take care of the earth. If you move that into a culture of people who eat money and drink money and live money and worship money, and then you give one particular group of people the ability to either create or manufacture what's called money, that is print little strips of paper, then you have people who have so much of that, if everything then becomes available for a price, then you have a certain group of people who can buy it all. And in essence, that's what's happened. If you uh, if you go and see the movie, it's out there now in the theaters uh, called The Big Short. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about there and how the scam goes on. And, you know, it's like we need to get back to real lives as real human beings as this active presence of love. And the message has been around for a long time, mutant message from down under. I'm surprised that uh, Marla's book has not been made into a movie. I think it would be an awesome film. But uh, the message has come from many, many quarters, and Anita's video is posted. It's a TED Talk, and uh, give it a listen. It's just another form of the message. And what we're here to, is to, to do is to give the tools for achieving that message in a practical, real way in your life, whatever you've been brainwashed into by the world. So our calling number? 646-200-4169. And I know that if Dr. Tim and I had been on a stage in your local library or your university or your local church and had the conversation we just had about, you know, brains and cognition and neuroscientists who died and said, hey, this couldn't be my brain doing this. I had a different kind of experience. Uh, I know you'd have questions for us. You'd have comments for us. And you may be a little timid. You may think, oh, my voice will be shaky. I, I don't know if I can speak well. I'll just invite you to just take a breath and let go of that thought. And if your voice is shaky, I don't care. Nobody in the audience cares. That'll be perfectly fine. And it'd actually be perhaps a chance to overcome some nervousness and forgive nervousness and the fear to speak up. I can remember, you know, I'm going to tell a story on myself, but the first time I got up to speak, I, I had a friend who was teaching and I wanted to teach and I made a commitment to teach two hours over the period of a weekend in this other person's class. The first hour was so bad. I mean, it was so, what are the words? I mean, the embarrassment that I got to forgive as a result of that, I, you know, I didn't realize at that time that I functioned intuitively and I could hear people's questions in my mind and I had a script I was going to follow it became such a confused mess it was awful fortunately I had uh, committed to a second hour that weekend and I couldn't get out of it and I threw away my notes and I let go of the need to keep a script going and listened to the questions I was being asked and answered those and you know that's when my teaching career started but that first hour if I had quit after that first hour if I hadn't been committed I probably would have never gotten on the platform again so uh, Michael, so if your voice is shaky, so what? Yes, sweetie. We have Linda from Atlanta to continue the conversation from yesterday afternoon. Hi, Linda. Awesome. Welcome, Linda. How are you? I know you're I good. am well. <laughs> Did you get to do any uh, any work on what was coming up for you in that whole circumstance you were talking about yesterday? 
you know, I did it at the moment, and then the day got crazy, and I didn't, and it's probably partly sabotage and avoidance. So I'll have to admit that. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Tell me, tell me what. Tell me what you asked me again, and I will give you some feedback, because I know I felt deeply when you asked. Sorry. Yesterday you're talking? Uh-huh. On the show. What did yeah. you ask? Well, you had described, you know, as many people do when they're in a state of upset, they describe external circumstances. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened, that happened, that happened, that happened, as though all those things were the cause of what's going on inside of me. And my question of you was, you know, if you try to impact and figure all those things out and fix them out of a mind that's in a state of upset and disturbance, you're not going to get very far. So my suggestion to you was to start to look at and do some worksheets around what was coming up for you. What were you feeling? What was it in you that was unlike love that you in that situation had the opportunity to heal? And if you do that, and you do that work first, rather than trying to figure out all the things out there that, you know, need to be fixed in them, then you'll bring a healed mind to a situation that may be bizarre and totally out of whack, or you may bring a healed mind that will transform that situation so much that you won't have to say another word. So my first order of business is always, so what's going on in me that I need to forgive that's coming up? Now, I can say I feel this because, and that's always a lie. Whatever my because is, I'm angry because my brother did this. I'm angry because my sister did that. I'm angry be- No, I'm not angry because of any of those things. I'm angry because I'm angry. I'm angry because I have anger in me, and an angry mind is always a disabled mind. An angry mind always makes up stories that will keep us away from the solution. So the first thing to do, as we've been talking about so far in the show, is to collapse the angry mind or the sad mind or the fearful mind or the disturbed mind or the confused mind or the whatever it is. To collapse that first, first order business is always, what's the work I need to do to bring resolution to me so that I can be resolution of this experience. You know, Gandhi says it a little differently. He says, be the change you want to see in the world. So if you're saying, this person really needs to change, make that change in yourself, and you may find that you've just facilitated that person making the change as well. So that would be my first order of business. What was coming up for you in all that story you told us yesterday. Okay, so I did work on it when we got off the phone. I was doing other things, but I do best that way. <laughs> okay. Um, that way it can slip in on me without me resisting. I, I don't, never mind. Okay, I got sadness. Um, great sadness because um, my family's never really been much of a family. Um, my brother, okay, so, my whoa, 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 Let's stop. Let's stop for a minute now. Let's take this one step at a okay, time. That's fine. That's good. Now, notice, notice your mind's about to tell you a lie. And, and uh-huh. the lie comes from, remember, denial is when I think or speak as so though something outside of me is causing something inside of me. 
So notice that your mind is saying, I have great sadness because, and think your brother's name. So what your mind wants to do is talk about your brother as the cause of your sadness and the family not having, you know, been a family. You're not sad because of that. You're sad because in you there is sadness, which you can collapse and replace with love. And then you will see how to resolve the fact that the family hasn't been what you wanted it to be. That is so cool because um, my heart's been trying to reach out in love. And I have felt lots of love, but I've also got all these other things I'm feeling. Yes, that is cool. So if if I can collapse that and replace it with love, how awesome. Because if it's a a deep sadness, it can be a deep love. Is that right? Exactly. Precisely. Precisely. And notice the propensity of the mind. Remember our, I don't know how much time you spent around the work, but remember our definition of denial. And, and, you know, keep this in the back of the mind because the mind can be so sneaky and tricky at keeping us believing it's out there. Well, you know, it, it really disturbed me when they said that. No, it didn't disturb me when they said that. It brought up my disturbance. There's a world of difference in my perceptual construct when I say it disturbed me and it brought up my disturbance. Because in one case, my mind has to literally construct a world view that says the world causes me disturbance. So I'll see a picture where the world causes me disturbance. The other language, my words tell my mind how to structure its output. In the other construct, my mind says, yeah, we've got disturbance, and look, here's the root of it. And we've been blaming it on that, but it's really about us. And then when I can bring love to the root of my disturbance, when I end my denial and bring love to the root of my disturbance, because that disturbance is a falsehood, it dissolves, and now I have love in place of disturbance in that situation. But the mind will tell us a million stories about, well, you know, when they wouldn't let me take care of my aunt the way I wanted to, that made me so mad. Well, no, but when they wouldn't let you take care of your aunt the way you wanted to, it certainly brought up your anger or your fear or your sadness or your loss or your grief or, you know, whatever it is. In each case, we've been trained by the world in such deep, subtle, sneaky, tricky denial that it's hard for us to see that we're involved and that we can always bring the presence of love to what's going on inside of us in order to get that cloud out of the way. And when you recognize that there are a thousand generations of those clouds from the generations of not knowing, and you have to start to puff those clouds away, forgive those clouds to keep bringing forward the presence of love, then a different conversation and a different energy ensues because when I stand, let's say, in my sadness, my whole perceptual construct, let's say in this case, as I hear it, is sadness about the lack of family, then everybody that's involved in the family, whether they're in my presence or not, literally, by me moving the energy of sadness in me and creating a perception of 
my sadness being about the family, I'm literally, with that energy moving in me, setting up the high-energy wave of sadness and spraying it on everybody in the family. Literally, energetically, spraying my sadness on everybody in the family. And anybody in the family who has not yet worked through their sadness is going to have sadness resonated. So I'm going to walk around and I'm going to be a fully self-fulfilling prophecy and look, what a sad family this is. Everybody I look at is in sadness. See, this isn't much of a family. When I do the piece of work of forgiving, that is removing my sadness, and then I think about the family and I bring forward, I'm able to select the active presence of love, then I create a construct about my family, a reality, a perceptual construct that is based in love. And now I'm spraying love on everybody in the family. Guess what's going to happen with everybody in the family if I'm spraying love instead of sadness on them? They're going to tend to step up to the plate. You know, and maybe your perception is accurate. The whole family system has been filled with so much sadness that it's just terrible loss. But if you're the first one in a thousand generations that has been able to bring literally conscious, active, present love to the forefront in that family system, then by choosing love, you'll begin to wake up love in every person in the family. And it'll start to miraculously change. I'm 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 game. That's that's pretty cool. So can we use another word that is very big? I mean that's really amazing. Um then the spraying is <laughs> pretty visual. <laughs> I like that. It is. That's exactly what it is. And you know there's a there's an awesome video that Jeannie's got a link to on the website that you know, takes us out of the realm of theory and story and, you know, well, we humans made it up. So, But it's a, a video called uh, about a lion that was, as a cub, for sale at Harrods Department Store in London, England. And these two British guys buy this lion club and raise it. And they raise it to the point where it gets so big they can't handle it anymore. I mean, they frolic, they roll around and play and wrestle with this lion. And, you know, and this lion is huge. But they brought it up from a kitten, so it's their deep, deep, caring friend. But it's so big, they can't handle it anymore. And they send it off to this preserve in Africa. About a year later, they contact the preserve and say, we want to come visit our lion. And the people who run the preserve are, are you crazy? You know, we've got a, a tag on this lion. It's got its own pride. It's a wild beast. It would rip you to pieces if you went to see it. And the guys are like, okay, that's, I hear that, and we want to come visit. So they fly to Africa, and, you know, they, the video they show they're shooting, and the, the, uh, they've got this guy who's the guide who's got his big high-powered rifle because they're sure they're going to have to shoot this lion. It's tagged. They know approximately where it is. So they go out, and the lion's name is Christian. So they're out there calling, Christian, Christian. And finally, the camera pans up this hill, and this lion's kind of trotting down the hill, and then all of a sudden breaks into a full-blown gallop toward them and jumps up on them, wrestles with them, wraps its paws around them, licking on them, just like 
a kitten would do or a, a cat, you know, that really, you know, has missed its owner for so long. I mean, this line is just all over both of them, which is pretty cool and pretty neat. But, but what I can think is really demonstrative of the point that I was just sharing with you, and, you know, this isn't about human beliefs or human possibilities. This is about how energy works. So I'm sure that this lion, Christian, did not say to his wife, you know, back up the hill, by the way, these are my friends, don't eat them. But the wild wild female who's never been exposed to humans trots down the hill with him, walks over to these two guys, rubs against their legs like a big kitten, and lets them pet her. When I choose love, it wakes up the love in everyone. But I've got to actually choose that. And I can't choose that until I've done the work of removing whatever blocks the presence of love in me. You know, we were given a directive in the theologies of love your neighbor. That's such a fraudulent thing. That's such a setup for failure. Because let's say in this case that you're talking about, if I have sadness about something going on in the family and I can say well I'm supposed to love my family and my family comes and resonates my sadness how do I love how do I do that verb when what's moving in me is sadness when I understand that the directive was not love your neighbor love your family the directive was be the presence of love and if something less than love comes up and you forgive it then by choosing to live as love rather than being identified with the sadness, the fear, the rages, the guilts, the griefs of the culture of the family system, then when I choose love, I literally, energetically, am spraying love on these family members. And they'll respond. They'll certainly, you may not get every response you want, but they'll certainly respond differently than when you were spraying your sadness and your grief on them. Okay, so I'm good. I'm good. I I get you so far. Um, Cool. Betrayal and abandonment. Um, Betrayal is a, a big one. And what's, so can I love them and still protect myself because I don't trust them because they've given me reason well, not to trust them? I mean, do, I need well, to do legal me. paper, I think, that says we're going to agree to get along, and I'm the only one who wants to sign this paper. Now, I have a business that they perceive is competing with my father's business because my father set me up in it, and I can see them not wanting me to be in my business because they everybody's all up in arms once so my little business isn't made a dent in my dad's business. Right. But. So let's take a breath. Notice mm-hmm. you're back to talking about the external when what you really want to deal with is the internal. Here's my oh, no, I really have to, uh, I really have to, I really, really think a lawyer, a lawyer should draw papers. But go ahead. Okay. I'm listening. So okay. betrayal well, is... What, what, what you're trying to do to figure something out that you can't figure out and change something outside of you so something inside of you will change. It has to happen the other way around. So here's my suggestion. I suggest that you never love anyone in your family ever. I suggest that you never have and you never will and they have never loved you and they are never going to love you. 
That's all a fraud and a lie of our culture. Have you ever held a newborn child? I've got you on mute, so I don't make noise. Okay. So think back to the first time you held a newborn. If you were to describe in a single word the essence of that newborn, what would it be? The essence that it emotes for anyone is love and protection. Okay. Right. So was the child loving you? If its essence is love, yes, but no, it wasn't. No, no, no. The child wasn't loving you. Its essence is love. The child is love. Love is a noun. Mm -hmm. It's a state of being. It's who the child is. It isn't something the child was doing to you. You can't do love to another person. You either be the presence of love or you be the presence of something else. Fear, sadness, anger, rage, guilt, grief, trauma, trauma, mistrust, whatever it is. So rather than efforting efforting loving your family, I offer that your work is to be the presence of love Whatever they do, they do something crazy, off the wall, accusing, shut your business down, and fear comes up in you, then you forget about them and you forgive your fear so that you be love in their presence. If they do this, that, or the next thing, and up comes is your rage because they're trying to take something from you, then you forgive your rage and you be love in your present, their presence. That, I would offer, is the first order of business, and that's your work. And while you're on your way to doing your work, you know, there's an old saying in the East that says, trust in Allah and tie your camel. And so as you're doing the work of recognizing, oh, man, I've got so many aberrant energetic dynamics around this whole family system, mistrust, anger, fear, sadness, loss, you know, all that stuff. I've got work to do. And, you know, the fact is that there's some untoward events happening in the family system And so I'm going to tie my camel. I'm going to go to an attorney and say, you know, here I am working to be love in my family so we can clean up this whole family system and have an actual family again. And in the meantime, I'd like to drop some documents that say this. You know, great. You know, recognize what's actual and real in your life and what's actually happening and keep doing your work because as you do your work, what your family system, remember they're genetically connected to you. They know how to push every button in you that you, when you're off and apart from the family, have figured out how to set your life up so you never have to look at those things. And you just get close to them, and because you are genetically connected, you and they have the same tuning force in your structure. They know how to move those things in you. Okay, now I have a twist for you. My half-sister is not genetically connected because my dad, years and years ago, that she was actually um, in vitro. And it's not really his child. But as far as I'm concerned, she is his child because he decided to have her. But she isn't. And her mother is just the supreme Southern Belle who knows how to get everything she wants. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So it sounds like there's some competition between you and 
Yeah, yeah. Did it again? Sounds like some competition between you and sis. Oh, I don't know. It, it's actually her mother, I think, is the problem because her mother uh, is controlling. Um, mm. it, it, it's well, do you know saga. why people control? <laughs> do you know why people play the control game? Because they want more. Just, just well, well, that might be one. Now, that might be projection. You might look at the reason why you want these paper drawn, papers drawn is because you want more because what your papers are about is controlling it, right? I want what is fairly mine. I am human, and I'm aware that I might want more, so I've even admitted that I might want more too. So if we sign a piece of paper, then everyone treats everybody fairly, and we go to an independent third party who helps us. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And and that's taking care of business. But taking care of business, again, that's tying your camel the other side is trust in Allah. Trust in the fact that you have work to do and your family system is going to show you everything you need to do. And a child that's conceived in vitro is still energetically linked and structured by and programmed by the genes, the words, the thoughts, the feelings that are close to them. Just like uh, you know, the, the female lion comes <laughs> down and functions out of love because her mate is doing the same, and these two guys are doing the same, so she taps into that energy. You can't live in a family system as an adopted child or an in vitro child and not pick up all the energetic patterns, traits, and characteristics I, of I the family you, system. I see her as a sister. I really do, and I believe yeah. in the energetics. Yeah. And they've done research, and they show that the genetics show that they're just the same. So it's more the family yeah, they're that they're living in. <clears throat> sure, so. yep. Um, So then we have the issue of I'm understanding that I don't feel worthy of love, and that's a simplistic statement um, to make Mm -hmm. it quick because we're running out of time. And um, then I've had a really hard time feeling and trusting in love, even though I've really experienced the love of God in a profound way many, many times in the past, but it's it's been just because there's been so many things happening. It's like I'm waiting. I've, I've gotten out of it now, but I used to live in stark terror even when I got up in the morning waiting for the other shoe to drop. So I've got to get past that. Mm. Does that mean I need to call one tomorrow? So, so, so I do, we can continue. Absolutely. Let's continue the conversation. But so between now and tomorrow, though, what I'd suggest you do is do some worksheets on terror, on the other shoe dropping, and looking okay. at your goals for – Things like, for instance, in that situation, I would think that the goal that you might want to work with is my goal for my family system to nurture, support, and care for me. And then the most silly thing you could ever imagine doing is you then the next step is you cancel that goal. And as I cancel that goal, what happens is I collapse the process of my mind and my carbon-based memory generating its its realities out of that terror state. And when I collapse the terror state, then I'm able to consciously, purposely bring conscious, active, present love into that terror state and begin the dissolution and the end of that terror state so that I am no longer spraying terror on every cell in my body and, the, and spraying the energy of terror on everybody in the family. But I'm free of it. Wow. That's forgiveness. So, tomorrow, so I suggest you work on that between now and tomorrow. And we are down to the last few seconds. So 
I'll have to close it out, but let's continue the conversation tomorrow. That would be awesome. Still with us? That work for you? I'm not muted. I think I heard you say I will. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Yes, Great I'm, conversation. I, we I appreciate will. you, and we're del- delighted to be here to support yeah, you. Yeah, all of this is affecting my finances and my ability to cause my business to grow, which is really what we need to get in tomorrow. Because, you know, if I'm not afraid about money, the rest of it won't matter. So there you go. I will have the confidence right. that I can take myself. Have a good one. Thank you. You're awesome. All right. Blessings. Delighted. All right. Love the love. Best year yet of your eternal life, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot org. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.